And God, you are great and greatly to be praised, and your word says that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you alone possess immortality, you alone dwell in unapproachable light. You're the one whom no one has ever seen or can see, and to you be honor and eternal dominion forever. God, as we open your word, I pray that you'd open our eyes to the truth. As we tackle the subject of temptation, I pray that you would um, widen our view as to the areas in our lives where we are tempted to sin against you, and that we would be all the more vigilant, having been together this morning and looking at your word, to to be men and women and children, uh, if we love you and want to please you with our lives, that we be men and women and children who are vigilant over our hearts, vigilant over our lives, that we might be approved, that we might be those who can serve you well, be useful in your hands. And so would you help us now to listen well and intently with humility and mold us and shape us through our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Good to see you this morning. Uh, my name is Matt Moorhead. I'm one of the pastors here. And, and uh, if you're new with us, um, we are on the fourth week of a topical series we're doing called Real Talk. So we, I hope it's been helpful. And uh, over the last few weeks, we tackled, you know, why can we trust the Bible? Uh, we've looked at, you know, can science explain everything? Last week, we looked at the reality of evil and suffering. And so would encourage you, if you haven't listened to the messages, not because the sermons are great, but because the topics are really important, to check those out via our podcast. If you have questions or need resources, we'd love to be a, a help to you in any way we can be. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at uh, overcoming temptation. And so there might be a question as to, you know, why this in the middle of this series? You know, everything else has seemed a little bit more topical, maybe even apologetic in the, from the standpoint of answering objections. Uh, some of the purpose of this series is for us as pastors to be able to shepherd specific things and needs in our body. And certainly none of us are untouched by the need to think biblically about how to face and how to overcome temptation. Um, so why talk about temptation? Like some of the questions that are maybe silently found in our moments of temptation are questions like this, like, is God worth following? Like, is, is he good? Like, is God trustworthy? Like, is his word true? And is he going to satisfy me more than this thing that I'm about to choose over him? Because we all face those questions, like whether we, or not we identify them in the moment, like we all wrestle with the moments of those questions that kind of come to mind and our momentary decisions as to whether or not we'll follow God. Charlotte is so sweet. Charlotte's our newest addition to the body over here. Everybody say what's up to Charlotte. And uh, babies just express their worship in different ways, y'all. So we just embrace it. Um, but as we, as we get into this subject, let me just, let me kind of avail you maybe to something that I think probably happened this morning. You were probably tempted this morning, and you may not have even identified it as temptation. So let me just rattle off a couple of things. You might have woken up this morning thinking about bills to pay and wondering, like, where's the money going to come from? Maybe you're single and you desire a relationship, and the question and the temptation is, am I willing to wait on God and be used by Him right now? And maybe your kids were acting up and like disobeying. Nobody goes through that on Sunday morning, I know. And you had the decision, am I, I going to respond in anger, yell at my kids, or am I going to try to be filled with the Spirit as I come to church and enter in? Some of you are faced with the question, am I going to come to church? 
because quite honestly, I, I do dread the greeting period, like after announcements, because I'm an introvert. And some of you question whether or not you should come to church because you're struggling with sin. And when we come together, by God's grace, part of what happens here is we are graciously, I pray through the Word of God and the people of God, confronted with our need to grow in relationship to our love of Jesus and our obedience to his word. And so, but we're faced in a momentary temptation of like, am I going to follow God? Am I going to trust the things that he says are good for me? Or am I going to just fall into the shadows, a place that maybe for the moment at least is a little bit more comfortable to me? Maybe you're fearful about a relationship or situation at work. Am I going to find refuge in God or control things on my own? So one of the things I want to just say really plainly as we talk about temptation, maybe for some of us, if not most of us, our mind goes to particularly to sexual temptation. It does include that, but it's certainly not limited to that. And that list I just read you, which is a very brief list of temptations, hopefully gives some sort of evidence to that. We're not just talking about sexual temptation. We'll get into that a little bit more as we look at this subject this morning. Temptation flows from all kinds of desires, from within and schemes from without. Temptation is fueled by our flesh, our humanness, and also from spiritual attack, our enemy, from within as well as from without. So let me just, let me define a couple of terms. One specific term, what is temptation? What is temptation? As we're talking about this word, let's make sure that we're talking about the same thing, thinking about the same thing. So when you look at this word primarily through the lens of the New Testament, this word could also mean testing or trials. But here's my summation of temptation scripturally. Temptation is an enticement to sin that tests our faith and character. All right? So temptation is an enticement to sin that tests our faith and our character. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, says it this way. It says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And when sin and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And we'll be in the book of James at the beginning of the year. But that helps us understand that temptation isn't sin. It's not the same thing. In some ways, you could say temptation is almost like the gateway to sin. It's an enticement by our own desires that tests our faith and our character. So let me just give you a funny example. So this week, my dog ate my flip-flops for the second time in like a year. And so my temptation was to throw my dog through the window, but I didn't. I didn't do that. So the temptation was there. The sin was not because I didn't throw Brandy through the window, right? So that's a funny example, but you get the, you get the picture. So we're talking about sin. We have to be sure that we're, we're talking about the right thing. Temptation is an enticement to sin by our own desires that tests our faith and our character. And I think that's a helpful kind of framework and tent peg to put in the ground. It's important to understand that temptation isn't sin. But you could say it this way, sin is temptation taken a hold of. Sin is temptation seized or grabbed and taken. Sin is ungodly desires gratified. And so what we see in the, the Bible, and, and maybe you're here and you're just checking Christianity out like you're here for the first time. Maybe you're not sure where you are with Jesus, and we're grateful that you're here. But one of the things I want you to understand is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, 
who lived a perfect life, died in our place, rose from the grave victorious, and gives us new life, that good news doesn't just save you. It changes you. It doesn't just make you right with God. It makes you more godly in life, practically, in degrees over the course of your life. It changes us, and it makes us new. We're transformed people with a new identity, new desires, new purposes, new pursuits, and we're called and empowered to look more and more like Jesus in this life. And the reason I share that is because at the heart of overcoming temptation is walking in a manner worthy of that calling to please God with our lives. If you're a Christian this morning, as muted as it possibly could be because of maybe just your entanglement with sin, there's something deep within us that longs to be used by God. Why? Because he's called us by name. He's made us a part of his family through faith, by grace in Christ. And that's it. He's mercifully saved us and transformed us. So there's something core to our identity that longs to be used by God. We want to be useful in his hands. And this is the main idea for this morning. Overcoming temptation makes us useful to God. Overcoming temptation makes us useful to God. We're called to be living stones. There's life in us. The question is, is it visible? Are we usable in the hands of God? If we don't overcome temptation and walk in godliness and holiness, the life within us is is going to be muffled at best. If we don't overcome temptation, we'll be sidelined for months, years. I've seen some people sidelined for decades because they, they didn't give enough attention to overcoming temptation and fighting and killing sin in their lives. It sidelines the people of God all the time. Don't let that be said of you. There's something in your heart, in your soul, in your identity that longs to be used by God. And that's why this message is important. Because we have to be those who work hard at overcoming temptation by the grace of God. And we're going to read a section of 2 Timothy chapter 2. And if you have your Bibles, you can join there with me. We'll have it up on the TVs as well. We're going to read verse, the latter half of verse 19 through verse 22. We'll read that. I'll give a couple comments just for context, but let's go ahead and read basically the second half of verse 19 in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. says this, the very end of verse 19. says, Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity or sin. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So up until this point in this book, Paul has been commending to Timothy to be a a worker who's approved by God, a soldier that's not entangled in the affairs of everyday life so he can please the one who enlisted him. It's a pastoral book written to a man who's a pastor. But in the same vein of showing yourself approved, Paul uses this picture of a great house. He says, so if you want to be a vessel for honorable use, sanctified, set apart as holy, useful to the master, ready for every good, good work, you have to depart from sin. You have, to, you have to deal with sin. You have to overcome temptation and in so doing, deal with 
sin and and dishonorable things in your life, dishonorable pursuits. You have to depart from sin. There needs to be a hard break with it in your life. You need to cleanse yourself from dishonorable things. So what this doesn't mean is that somehow we're just called to kind of clean ourselves up. So don't get this twisted, especially if you're new to Christianity, you don't understand the gospel message because the gospel message says this. is one of the many things I would commend you to hear really clearly this morning. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, if you confess your sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God does a supernatural work in the lives and the hearts of people to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. That we'll stand not guilty before God, not by any doing of our own or any work of our own, but by the perfection of Jesus. We're clothed in a foreign uniform of righteousness at the end of our days. Praise be to God. But in this life, we're also called to cleanse ourselves from particular things that defile our bodies, that aren't consistent with our new identity. There is a putting off and a putting on. You see that. We've we've taught through that through the book of Ephesians and Colossians, if you've been around. 2 Corinthians 7.1 puts it this way, since we have these promises, namely one of the promises being that we are a a temple of the Spirit, temple of the living God, His presence within us, since that, that promise is true. Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So you say it this way, having been washed clean by Christ, we want to walk clean in Christ. Having been forgiven by Christ, we want to live completely for Christ. Having been made holy through faith in Christ, we're called to live holy lives for Christ. Let your practice be consistent with your profession so that you can be useful in the hands of God. So as we put aside dishonorable things and pursue holiness, it will increase our usability in the hands of God, in the church and in the world. Now it seems that Paul is probably talking maybe more so about false teachers in the church, those who purport to be godly but deny God by way of their false doctrine. They're dishonorable vessels within the church. It's probably also true that in this context, there's probably this picture of the honorable being believers within the church and the dishonorable being non-Christians in the church that aren't usable to God because they don't belong to Him. Both those things are probably true. But it's also biblical to say that, there's great, that greater godliness leads to greater usefulness to God. Now that hurts a little bit. Because we want to be like, hey, hold on, this is offensive. Are you saying some Christians are more useful than others? 100%. 100%. Based on our pursuit of God. And it makes sense, right? Maturity, like loving God more, will put us in a place of greater usability in this world and in the church. Because that's really, in some ways, the pursuit of pastoral leadership proved to be an example among those you lead in faith and conduct and love and speech and purity. If that was, if this wasn't true, that greater godliness doesn't lead to greater usefulness, that passage really probably wouldn't have any bearing on the Christian life. Proved to be an example. And pastors are really called to be those who are an example of maturity for all believers. It should be a pursuit for all of us. So if you're offended by that notion that some Christians are more useful than others, then maybe, just plainly put, maybe you need to stop messing around with sin and start pursuing God more. 
And it wouldn't be as offensive to you because you know that there's this movement toward the things of God. Imperfectly, yeah, to be sure. If you've been around here long enough, you've heard me air some of my own personal struggles in various ways. Like we're all in process. But by the grace of God, we're moving toward greater likeness to Jesus. We're not more forgiven, but we're more useful in the hands of God. And this is really encouraging too in this same book in 2 Timothy. For some of you, it should be really heartening because there's this figure, John Mark. We studied through the book of Acts. And if I could take you back just real briefly, John Mark basically was a, was a man who left Paul and Barnabas at a particular point in their ministry. Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas have this essentially a division or argument between the two of them. Because Paul's like, hey, I don't want to take a guy who abandoned us previously. Barnabas takes him in. And so Paul then takes Silas. But here's what happens at the end of 2 Timothy in chapter 4, verse 11. Paul is saying this is the end of Paul's life. He's in prison, about to be executed for his faith in Jesus. This is what he says. He says, get Mark, John Mark, same guy who abandoned him previously, and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Isn't that interesting? Someone in this room, maybe multiple someones in this room, you need to realize you come in here and you're very mindful of your struggles your imperfections, the things that disqualify you even from usability. It's never too late. By the grace of God, it is never too late. As long as you have breath, you can turn from those things, turn to God and be usable for him. And all God's people said, every single one of us should heartily amen that. Because we've had that experience, haven't we? Like picked up the dust of sin, like shaken off of us. By the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the people of God and by the grace of God, we're enabled to be usable again. Thanks be to God. That's what He does. That's what the grace of God does. Not just at the beginning of our lives with Him, but all the while, the grace of God carrying us along. These earthen vessels with cracks and nicks and scratches carrying around the treasure of the gospel, shaking it around wherever we go. That's the picture of the believer. So pick yourself up. Trust in Jesus once more and be usable for him. He saved you for that. And be hopeful. So overcoming temptation makes us useful to God. We need to depart from sin, from dishonorable things. And Paul gives us two specific actions to take in this text. Go back to the text with me. In verse 22, 2 Timothy 2.22, it's an easy verse to remember. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. The first action word that we're given is flee. Flee the desires that belong to a youthful person. This doesn't just include sexual immorality and sexual sin. It does, but it's not just limited to that. But the picture is this, run to safety. Like, flee to that which is safe. You know what this says to us? Sin is not safe. Sin is not safe for anyone, much less the believer. Why? Because it will sideline you. I've seen it happen before my own eyes for years, for decades, that a man or woman of God sidelined from usability for God because they're entangled in sin. So flee, like run away, flee from your sinful desires. Don't flirt with them. Flee, don't flirt. Titus chapter 2, verse 6, the youthful urge of lacking self-control. It says, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. 
Youthfulness could be defined, at least in part, by a lack of self-control. Those of you with young kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. A lack of humility. First Peter chapter 5, you could argue that some of the application there is that young men, and say young women as well, are prone to not be subject to those who are older than them. It says in verse 5, in chapter 5, you who are younger be subject to elders. There's a lack of humility present in youthful desires. One commentator put four Ps on this. Like, what are these things? They're pleasure, power, possessions, and pride. And Paul says, flee from these things. Don't flirt with them. Don't try to cohabitate with these things because they'll render you unuseful in the hands of God. There's a couple of things I want to say just pastorally here. There's a whole lot that could be said here. And some of this is an outworking of the various situations that we find ourselves in pastorally. One of the things I want you to hear really clearly as an encouragement, challenge, and warning is don't provide a pathway for your temptation. And there are so many ways where we fail in this. Like we say in principle, we don't want to sin. We don't want to give into this thing, but yet we provide a continual pathway for the struggle to come. And you see this in Romans chapter 13 most clearly, I would argue, in the New Testament. I'll read verses 12 through 14 because it accentuates some of what we already talked about. Paul says this, it says, The night is far gone, the day is at hand. There's that, there's that picture of like the significant change in the person of God, the Christian. It's like night and day. There's such a difference. We used to be a person of the night. Now we're a person of the day. We used to be darkness. Now we're light in the Lord. He says, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. And here's what he says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And we'll talk about that, put on the Lord Jesus in the second half of pursuing righteousness. But he says, make no provision. Don't provide a pathway for your temptation. Let me put some flesh to this for a minute, if I could. Yeah, we, we probably know well enough. You're trying to watch your eating habits. You've got to be careful what you keep in your pantry, right? I'm not saying that in a joking way. But if you're trying to not eat certain foods and you keep them in front of you all the time, you're making provision for your flesh in regard to its lusts. Maybe a smaller way than some other ways. Maybe just a practical example from my own life. Hopefully my wife won't be mad at me for sharing this. We were dating and engaged as a couple. Like we realized really quickly it was not wise for us to sit on the couch and cuddle and watch movies till midnight. That was making a provision, a clear pathway for our desires for one another. Just keeping it real, right? That was the struggle. And so we said, we can't do this. By God's grace, we wanted to please him more than please one another or ourselves, right? That's a practical boundary. If you're struggling with contentment, maybe particularly if you're struggling with your living situation, maybe you shouldn't watch HGTV. You don't have to raise your hand if you struggle. I know you do already. Maybe you shouldn't visit the model homes and the parade of homes. If you're like, man, I want monogram dishwasher? <laughs> I, I, sorry, I couldn't think of something good. Monograms usually make stuff special. I, was, I just forgot what example I was going to use. If you have a monogram dishwasher, kudos to you. But, but if you struggle with contentment, then don't do the things that cause you to struggle with contentment. If you're given to gossip, 
in certain settings and with certain people, then be watchful of those people, those relationships, and those situations. Don't make like a pathway for your own temptation. If God has a background of partying and drinking, don't open the door to those things by providing a pathway for your own temptation. Maybe a question that you should ask in that particular situation and in others is, can my light prevail upon the darkness? Or is the darkness going to prevail upon my light? Because why? We need to act appropriately to our identity as those who function in the day and not in the night, right? Clothing ourselves with the armor of light and putting on the Lord Jesus. So don't provide a pathway for your struggle. Another thing I would say is you're not as strong as you think. We're not near as strong as we think. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, there's a, there's a picture of this. Let me get there myself. And this is a, notably, a verse that has been completely hijacked by Christian culture because you've often heard the statement that God will never give you more than you can handle. Like, that is just a farce. That's not biblical. God will almost always give you more than you can handle because his grace is sufficient so we can boast in weakness. But this passage talks about temptation. That God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle, but will provide the way of escape. But let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 10. All right, where am I in my notes? Okay, so verses 10 through actually 11. No, I'm sorry, 12 through 14. First Corinthians 10, 12 through 14 says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not allow you, he will not let you to be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. But the point I want to make right now is, is you're not as strong as you think. If we think we're strong enough to stand on our own, the, the biblical promise is that you're going to fall. But anyone thinks if he stands, if he's strong enough to face temptation on his own, to allow a pathway to temptation and just to stand against its onslaught, you're, you're setting yourself up for a fall. If, you're, if, if, you, if your mentality is, I got this, you don't. Like, you don't, you don't got this. Like, you need other people, and you need the Word of God. You need to stand against it. You need to flee and not just trust in your ability to, to withstand it in your own strength. Man is given to idolatry. The story of humanity, the story of the Israelites, it's right before this section, is proof and instruction to us that we're not strong enough to stand on our own. And conversely, what our, what our badge should be is, is a badge of weakness. Like, we are weak, and we need God. We need His help. We're not clothed with enough strength to manage through temptation. Matthew 26, 41 Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and his disciples were praying and falling asleep perpetually. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we are weak, so we need to be watchful and prayerful. We also need to call out with very real, earnest desire that the Lord would help us. In Matthew 6, 13, the Lord's prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that's the promise, right? We can look for the way of escape in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. God will provide the way of escape. Look for it. 
And you can fill in the blank there. You're given temptation. There are moments, there are things that we know would be that way of escape, and we chose directly not to walk through that escape hatch and instead walk in our own strength and pride, try to manage on our own, to willingly choose to make provision for our flesh, to give forethought even to our own desires. And as a result, we fell prey to our sinful desires. There's an interesting part of this verse that we just read in 1 Corinthians 10. And I'll put it this way. Your temptation is not unusual. It's actually common. This is really interesting. And I think it's really helpful for us. Because one of the things that sin does is it isolates us. And, te- and, our, and our, our temptations, we can begin to think, are, are so unique and uncommon, we begin to isolate ourselves from the counsel of other people. Because after all, our temptation is unique. Never, I mean, they're never going to understand. That's the kind of whisper you might hear. Like, don't go, don't make yourself known. Nobody's going to understand. Like, you're, this struggle is unique. If Satan has a heyday with that sort of lie, But Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Like your temptation actually isn't common. Nothing new under the sun. And we need to confess. We need to avail ourselves to the help of other people. We'll justify our sin because after all, this is an unusual temptation, we might say in our own heads. Your temptation isn't unusual and your temptation isn't escapable because God is providing the way of escape. And that's good news for us. Another thing I just briefly say as well is that we have to take our temptation seriously. All right, so maybe at some level I built the case. Like this, is, this topic really matters. At the, at the end of it all, it has to do with our identity. Does our, does our practice match with our profession? I think at times we're really good at not taking seriously enough the things that cause us to stray. And we don't battle against sin the way that we should. So if it's true... If Jesus' words are right, and they are, that, hey, if your eye causes you to stumble, then pluck out your eye. If your hand causes you to stumble, then cut off your hand. It seems that Jesus is pretty extreme in the way he causes us to, to deal with things that cause us to struggle, cause us to stumble. Let me just put some teeth to this. It's very possible that you might struggle using your phone to survey lewd material, pornography. What you're going to think is like, well, I don't, need to get a, I don't need to get a flip phone. That's a little extreme. Is it? Is it extreme? It seems to me that Jesus' counsel to us is pretty extreme. If it means that we can please him, and it might be for a season, but don't think that some measure practically to not make provision for your flesh is too extreme. You struggle with your TV. causes you to be lazy. I don't want to get rid of my TV. I mean, everybody these days has a TV. I mean, what will people say? That's extreme. But our, God, our love for God should be extreme, shouldn't it be? Preeminent, like the first love of our lives. So those measures should, in some ways, reflect our love and our pursuit of Christ. So you need to take your temptation seriously. I need to take my temptation seriously. So in our becoming useful to God, we're called to flee. We're also called to pursue in my last few minutes here, let me just unpack this briefly. As we flee, we're called to pursue godliness with God's people. This is something I remember hearing from a friend of mine years ago, dealing with temptation in my own life. And I feel like what I was doing is I, would, I didn't even read 2 Timothy 2.2, but what I would do is I would, I would try to just stiff arm sin. 
There was like this, I knew there was a disconnection. I'm like, okay, I need to put this away. But that's only part of it. If you're just simply trying to do this, like you just shut your eyes and like, all right, I hope it doesn't come again. And you're just fleeing and you're not pursuing, you're not replacing it with righteousness. It's only half done. Because it's not merely just setting up boundaries. It's a pursuit of superior desires. Replacement of fraudulent satisfaction with true satisfaction. That requires a pursuit of righteousness. That's why that's whole, the whole put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for your flesh in regard to its lust. There's, there's two parts of this equation. Put it away and then pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness, which confronts ungodly perspectives and desires. Pursue faith, which wars against the fear and unbelief we're trying to turn away from. Pursue love. God's love for us motivates us to love others where there's, there was hate and indifference before. Pursue peace, which washes away the anxiety, which paralyzes us and keeps us on the sidelines. Matthew Henry said it this way in his commentary of 2 Timothy 2. He says, the more we follow that which is good, the faster and the further we shall flee from that which is evil. Righteousness and faith and love are excellent antidotes against youthful lusts. Holy love will cure impure lust. This isn't just merely about putting things away. It's about replacing those things with superior delights, true satisfaction, lasting pleasure, lasting joy in Christ. Taste and see that the Lord is good, right? And we can go back to those same questions that I asked earlier, maybe the questions that we silently ask, like in our hearts when we're dealing with choosing between God or something else. Like, I've tasted and I've seen that you are good, God. You are worth following. You are trustworthy. It is true. Your ways are better than my ways. Following you really satisfies and sustains my soul. At the heart of overcoming temptation is walking in a manner worthy of our calling as Christians. I'll say this to close out. If you're a Christian this morning, there's something deep within you that longs to be used by God. You want to make your life count for the one who bought you and saved you and made you new. And overcoming temptation will make you useful in the hands of God. So flee evil desires, put them away, pursue righteousness. And just like Paul said to Timothy, do it with people who are doing the same. With people, with others who are calling on the name of the Lord with a pure heart. God has designed us to need other people, and particularly those who are pursuing Jesus just like we want to, that we might succeed in our pursuit of God. Flee youthful desires, pursue God with his people by your side and with his word in your heart. That's what we see in Jesus and his temptation, right? Uniquely. Right before his platform for ministry exploded, he went into the wilderness for 40 days. And if you read that in the Gospels, you'll see every single temptation how did he deal with it? With scripture. Target theology to every temptation was dealt with through God's word. And so we need to be a people of the word of God, with the people of God, by the grace of God, empowered by the spirit of God. We might exhibit the glory of God in our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.
Father, this, uh, this very afternoon, uh, we will be faced with this very real battle um, to flee youthful desires and lusts and passions and to pursue righteousness. I pray that this passage, like this, this work of the believer would, would haunt us in such a way that it would make us more like Christ. It would inform us in the moments of our struggle. And I pray that we'd be people who are vigilant over our own hearts, who don't make a pathway for our temptation, who take temptation and sin seriously, who don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. We walk in humility, and as a result, we get more and more grace to grow in respect to our salvation. God, if there's anybody in this room um, who, who's never surrendered to you, who's never known the, the full and final satisfaction of their deepest desires and longings, and God, I pray that today would be that day. God, as your people, as we gather, we praise you that, that we are not qualified to be a part of your family because of our best day. We're not disqualified because of our worst day, but we ride on the qualifications of Jesus. It's only by, by grace, through faith alone and Christ's name alone that we are forgiven, saved, and forever secure. So would every man, woman, and child in this room who hears my voice put their trust in Jesus? Would we acknowledge even just in closing song just how much we need you every single hour, every single day. We need you for the battle. We need you for uh, endurance in the midst of the struggle. Thank you that you provide the way of escape in the moments of temptation. Help us to be men and women who exhibit that life in Jesus is real. The Spirit of God is present within us, that we be salty in this earth, and many, many people would come to know you as a result of our faithful testimony and our words proclaim that there's life only found in Jesus. And I pray this in him. Amen.